you've got your program, um, open it up. We've got a lot to cover as we talk about week two of 50 Days of Transformation. Last week we talked about, we started with the most famous parable that Jesus ever taught, which is the parable of the prodigal son. Today we're going to look at the most famous psalm in the whole Bible, um, Psalm 23. The 23rd Psalm has been given comfort to people for thousands of years. Uh, we spend a lot of time, a lot of money in our society, in our lives, relieving stress in our lives. Stress at its core, it's funny, we had prayer requests at the end of my Friday night group this past week, and it was so many people were stressed out about so many different things. Stress at the core is simply a threat, real or perceived. Whenever our bodies feel threatened um, by an emotional or a physical or a spiritual or a mental threat, stress responses take, take place in our body. Our blood pressure goes up. Our pulse quickens, adrenaline is released into our body, and um, all kinds of other physiological effects happen when we, when we start to get stressed out. In fact, there's nothing wrong with this. It's actually very helpful. You're standing in the middle of the road, and a truck comes barreling your way. You know, that stress response says, get out of the road, man! And you have supernatural kind of adrenaline to sprint, to leap out of the way of the oncoming vehicle. That's a good thing. The problem is chronic stress. Our body never shuts down. It's always in that fight or flight kind of aspect of our life. Many of us, we were living under chronic stress before COVID. And now with this pandemic, it's just stressed out. So, I mean, <laughs> you know, people used to say, man, that guy has a short, short fuse. That guy has no fuse now, right? I mean, it's just, he's already gone off. Um, many of us are living under chronic stress, and we're going to deal with that today. You know, hundreds, maybe even thousands of scientific medical studies have shown that chronic stress is dangerous, devastating to our physical health. It's damaging to our brain to always be in a chronic stress situation. It's, it's obviously, chronic stress can be deadly to our bodies. It can kill us. So last week as we started 50 Days of Transformation, we talked about how to have spiritual transformation, how to be spiritually healthy. We talked about this, the seven habits of spiritual health in our, in our groups. Last week we talked about how to have spiritual health. Um, this week we're going to kind of turn the dial a little bit, and we're going to focus on the habits of physical health. Um, in your groups, you're going to be talking about how can we take care of our bodies um, physically, eat right, exercise, those kind of things. Um, what I want to do today is specifically look at what the effects of stress are on our body and what the Bible says is the antidote to stress in our life. So, if you're a little tired today, if you're a little worn out, you're a little stressed out, you're a little burned out, man, you picked a great day to come to church because we're going to talk about that. We're going to get some help from the most famous psalm ever written, when King David wrote the 23rd Psalm, you know it. Some of you memorized it. If you grew up memorizing this, probably in the King James, I'm going to read out of a more modern translation, which says, The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a peace for me in the presence, a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. That's the most beloved of probably all the Psalms. It's given comfort to people for thousands of years. I just read this graveside this past Friday at a funeral for a 96-year-old saint. Every pastor would love to have all his funerals be like that. Today I want to talk about the seven habits that reduce stress that we find from the 23rd Psalm. And we're going to kind of take this apart line by line. I'm going to try to get all seven points in. Um, there's so much that we could unpack from this passage. In fact, three years ago, I did a series during the summer 
where we looked at this for seven or eight weeks. And we talked about it was, it was the God is Good series. So if, you, uh, if this speaks to you and you want to download that or you want to go back and listen to the podcast or watch uh, the videos, feel free to do that. We're going to talk about the seven habits for reducing stress. Number one, I want you to fill this one out first. This is probably the most important of all of these, is I've got to look to God to meet all my needs. I look to God to meet all my needs. First thing David says, I look to God, to Jesus, my good shepherd, to meet my needs. And that will calm me down. If we don't do anything else, this will help our lives more than anything. Because you're not going to be disappointed trusting in God. This single change in our life, to stop looking towards other people to meet our needs, because that's what we do. If we'd stop looking towards our husband to meet all our needs or our wife to meet all our needs, our stress would go down drastically. Stop putting our security in things that we can lose. Sometimes people put their security in their job. Their identity is really in their job. So when we say in America, not who are you, what do we say? We say, what do you do? Second thing we ask them. But you can lose your job. And sometimes when people lose their job, they lose their peace of mind. They lose their identity. They lose who, who am I? Sometimes we put our security in our marriage. But you can lose your spouse. Sometimes their spouse dies or they go through the tragedy of a divorce, and then they're like, well, who am I? And, and, and what is my identity? Or people put their security in their money. Well, there's a, there's a thousand ways you can lose your money. You know, everybody's talking about, you know, invest in this. It's going to the moon. Invest in that. You know, you're going to, and uh, you put your trust in, you put your trust in any markets, any securities, any, I mean, they even call it securities. Like there's security there. Isn't that crazy? Right? There's a lot of ways you can lose your money. I recommend that you never put your security in anything that can be taken away from you, that you can lose. We should always put our security, find our security in something that can never be taken away from us. You can lose your job. You can lose your health. You can lose your reputation. You can lose a loved one. You can lose your mind. But you cannot lose your relationship to Jesus Christ. You can put your security in that, that God will meet all your needs and keep your security there. You know what? I'm going to look to God to meet my needs. Psalm 23, 1, that first verse I read you, says, The Lord is my shepherd, so I have all that I need. I have everything I need because God is taking care of me. So I can stop expecting anyone else or everyone else to meet those needs that only God can meet. Romans 8.32 says, Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all. This is right after the verse that says everything works out for everybody who loves God and calls according to his purpose. Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? The logic here is, is obvious. If God loves us enough to give us Jesus... If God loves us enough to let Jesus die on the cross for us, don't you think God loves us enough to meet our measly daily needs kind of a thing? To take care of every other need in our life? Of course he does. So we should stop looking to other people to meet those needs. Because inevitably, human beings are going to let us down, aren't they? We're going to let people... In fact, if there are people looking to you to meet their needs... You need to tell them now, listen, I'm going to let you down. You need, to, you need to put your trust in God to meet your needs. There's no one that can possibly meet all of our emotional needs. There's no one that can possibly meet all of our physical, our mental, our spiritual needs. So David says, I'm not going to look to other people. I'm going to look to God. The Lord is my shepherd, so I have all that I need. And what he's saying there is the first step of stress reduction is to worship. Remember, worship is refocusing or focusing on God. I stop focusing on expecting other people to meet my needs, and I refocus, I worship, I refocus on God. Every time we get stressed out, I mean, how many times a day is that? 
You know, do you only get stressed out once a week? Right? No. You only get stressed out even once a day? I mean, you, you know, you used to think it was just I-4 that stressed you out, but then you got quarantined and you realized, oh, no, you know, it's, the hallway can stress me out just as bad as I-4, apparently, you know, because kids are going everywhere, right? They're as bad drivers as they are on I-4. Whenever you're stressed out, five times tomorrow, six times on Tuesday, eight times on Friday, whenever you're stressed out, here's what you do. You just say, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. You're refocusing on God. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. When we start to get stressed out, the Lord is my shepherd. He's going to provide. He's going to take care of me. He's going to meet my needs. I'm going to look to God to meet my needs. Once we've got that as the bedrock of our life, if that could become a habit, and you'll probably get 27 to 97 times to practice that this week. Okay? The Lord is my shepherd. He's going to take care of me. You will watch the stress reduce in your life. Second thing that we've got to do is I've got to obey God's instruction about rest. Oh, man, this is, a, this is one I need to. I have been working on this for decades. I'm the best at this that I've ever been, but I've still got a long way to go. So much of stress in our life comes from always being in a hurry, always working too much, always feeling like we've got too much to do, always feeling like, I mean, that's why we overwork. We never get it all done, do we? There's always something in our inbox. There's always an email coming. You're going to get buzzed while you're sitting here probably. You know, there's always a text message. There's always somebody wanting something. How many of you feel like you can never catch up? Especially if you've got your office at home now. Because that just means you can work 24 hours a day, it seems like. Think about this. If God had wanted to, because he's God, if God had wanted to, he could have created human beings with, without the need to sleep. He could have made us so that we never sleep. Now, if I was God, think how much more we could get done if I did it that way. Like, you, never, you don't ever have to sleep. You can work 24-7. You can have fun, 20, but God doesn't do, do this. I mean, if you sleep eight hours a day, you know, some of you sleep a little more, some of you sleep a little less, some of you sleep a lot less, that's part of the problem. But if you sleep eight hours a day, that's one-third of your life you spend sleeping. So if you live 90, 90 years, if you live to be 90 years old, that's 30 years, that's 30 years of sleeping. I mean, God, if you had made it so we didn't have to sleep, we would have gotten so much more done. That's our priority, getting things done. That's not God's priority, getting things done. What is God's priority that he takes one-third of our whole life and requires us to sleep? God's priority is learning about rest. And you're like, what? Oh, yeah. It's so important he puts it in the top ten. We'll talk about that in just a second. God wants us to learn the importance of rest. In fact, it's so important to him that God rests. God, you remember the story all the way back to Genesis when God created the universe? In six days, he rested the seventh day. Now, why did God rest? Do you think God was tired? God doesn't get tired. Yet he, he modeled that for us. The Bible is filled with instructions about rest and recreation and relaxation. It's so important. He put it in his Big Ten, the Ten Commandments. Right up there with don't commit adultery, don't murder, is take a day off every seven days. You're like, that doesn't seem to be the same to us. It's not the same to us, but it's the same to God. That's how important the Sabbath is. Yet today, our modern society, you know, people aren't doing that. Even on your day off, often you're working. Um, people go home even on a day of worship from church, and before before you get home, you'll be checking your email. You'll be you'll be answering a couple of things because man, if I can just get it off my desk, if I can just deal with this now, I won't have 999 or probably 666 emails. There's some symbolism there on Monday morning. That's not a Sabbath when we're always working. It's harder than ever. 
harder than ever for us to take this seriously. I used, had a friend who used to say, well, Pastor, we'll rest when we get to heaven. You ever heard somebody smart, some religious smart aleck say that? I always wanted to say, yeah, and you're on the fast track to getting us there, talking like that, you know. <laughs> We're going to be in heaven a whole lot quicker. Psalm 23, 2, it says, verse 2 says, he lets me rest in green pastures. Some versions say he makes me lie down. I like that version because that's something that he's done to me. He's made me. Has he ever had to make you lie down? You know? Um, so getting enough sleep sounds simple. It sounds secular. It sounds like I'm doing, you know, one of those mattress commercials, you know. But it's serious to God. So write this down. My best requires rest. God knows for you to be at your best requires rest. God also knows if you don't get rest, you're not only not at your best, you're at your worst. You're grouchy. You're angry. You're mean. All of us. I'm, I'm, I'm mean and grouchy. You add hungry to no sleep and, you know, people are like, you're a pastor? Are you kidding me? Like, oh, wait, bud, I'll disappoint you in more ways than that. We're not wasting time when we're relaxing, you know, um, when we're resting, when we're Sabbathing. Exodus 34 says, you have six days each week for your ordinary work, but on the seventh day you must stop working, even during, even, circle even, even during the, the seasons of plowing and harvest. Because that's what we say. We're like, oh, oh wait, it's just a season. You know, oh, oh, wait, 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 here's my excuse. You know, oh, oh, wait, wait, I'm too busy. You know, I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm, a, I'm an accountant. I'm, I'm in retail. I'm, you name it. I'm a farmer. He picks on the farmers right there, doesn't he? So even in a busy season, no excuse. You may be a tax accountant, and it's April right now. They, and, the, and they extended your season to May. <laughs> oh, so sorry. Uh, so you have to take a day off even though it's tax season. You may be a retailer, even though it's Christmas season. And you still got to take a day off. You're a farmer. You know, it's harvest season or it's planting season. He says, no, 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 you still got to take a day off. And I know many people feel guilty about that. You, it's hard to take a day off because once you get out of the habit, it's hard to get in that habit again. Like, but I feel guilty when I relax. That's false guilt. That's not guilt from the Holy Spirit. When I feel, I feel guilty when I relax. Let me put it to you this way. Jesus never felt guilty relaxing. Now, Jesus' earthly ministry is like three plus years. So if Jesus is sleeping eight hours a day, that's like one whole year of his ministry. One-third of his three-year ministry, Jesus is sleeping and resting. Think of how many more people he could have healed, how many more people he could have fed, how many more people he could have taught if he had not slept any of those three years, that would be great for our plan. God's like, no, 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 it's not about that. It's about you got to come apart and rest. In fact, this is what Jesus would say. He'd go through an intense time of ministry, and then he'd say to the disciples, hey, guys, let's come apart for a while. We're going to go off into the mountains, or we're going to go off in the desert, and, and we're going to come apart. I always say it this way. If we don't come apart, we will come apart. Okay. He says, let's, let, let's go relax for a while. Jesus never feels guilty about the need to Sabbath in our lives. Some of us, as I said, this is, this is why we're so grouchy, why we're so mean. We don't get enough sleep. We don't get enough rest. Um, so I've got to look to God to meet all my needs. The Lord is my shepherd. I've got to obey God's instruction about rest. He lets me rest or he leads me. He makes me rest. Third thing, this is great. It's right here. I've got to recharge my soul with beauty. Third thing we need to do, recharge my soul with, with beauty. Beauty is incredibly important in stress management. Ugliness stresses you out. Beauty inspires. Beauty encourages. Beauty motivates. Beauty stirs up positive emotions. Have you ever thought about why God made the world so beautiful? I mean, he didn't have to do this. 
sunsets, sunrises. There are flowers on this planet that are so beautiful that nobody ever sees. And every now and then you discover a new one. They go, whoa, this has been here all along. Nobody ever knew it. All of these beautiful things that God has created in this world. You realize God could have made this planet just like the moon. I mean, he could have made it just barren. It could have been just a moonscape where nothing will grow. So why did God make a planet, make a home with such vibrant colors? Have you ever heard someone say, I feel so close to God when I'm out in nature? Do any of you you feel close to God when when you're whatever your favorite nature is? God made us this way. He created man. He created Adam and Eve. He placed them in the moonscape of Eden. No, in the garden. We were created to live in a garden, a beautiful place. We've come a long way to wrecking the planet. But if you feel close to God in nature, it's of course you do. God made you that way. Because God's beauty inspires and motivates us. Verse 2 and 3 Psalm 23 says, He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. And he renews my strength. It's no wonder that Psalm 23 is one of the most beloved psalms because we can all visualize that. When you start talking about lush green meadows, calm, quiet lake, relaxing, babbling brook, just thinking about that can stir up good emotions. When I say... Think about driving in downtown Orlando on I-4, zipping, you know, changing lanes. That can get you stressed out. You know, you're you're having pre-traumatic stress. That's like post-traumatic stress from last week, pre-traumatic stress for tomorrow morning. But if you start thinking about calm meadows and cool waters and babbling brooks, nature refreshes and beauty inspires. We need beautiful scenes. We need to see and hear beautiful sounds. Why it's great to go on vacation. I mean, you haven't had a vacation in a long time. Everything's been closed up. I hope that you will take a vacation as soon as you can. I love going to the beach. I walk out on the balcony immediately. Go to the uh, go to New Smyrna Beach. Walk out on the balcony, and I I inhale the sea breeze, and I exhale stress that fast. And in 15 minutes on a balcony overlooking. You know, the waves, and I can, I can decompress the stress. Nancy, she doesn't like the beach. She, she likes the mountains. So she puts up with the beach because I like the beach. Um, but uh, she loves the mountains. Same thing. Walk out on, on a balcony, rocking chair, overlooking mountain range after mountain range after mountain range. just decompresses the stress. Find your happy place. Find your stress. I, I like the beach. She likes the mountains. So we go to North Carolina. There's a place called Beach Mountain. We're both satisfied. They spell, they spell beach wrong. Philippians 4.8 says, this is a message paraphrase, you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things that are true and noble, reputable and authentic and compelling and gracious. The best, not the worst. The beautiful, not the ugly. Because of sin, there's a lot of ugliness in the world. A lot of ugliness in this world. And we look at a lot of it. The more time you spend on cable news, pick your letters, it doesn't matter which side, the uglier your life will be. They don't have a news channel that just has all these beautiful sea scenes and mountain scenes. (laughs) Because you fall asleep watching that. (laughs) You probably need that. Take a nap. There are unpleasant things in this life. Whatever you give your attention to, you give your attention to all that negativity, all that, all that worldly ugliness, you're going to increase the stress in your life. If you would give your attention to some of God's beauty instead, you'll decrease your stuff. All right, your, your stress. All right, number four. I go to God for guidance. You writing all these down? I'm looking to God to meet my needs. I'm going to obey what he says about rest. I'm going to recharge my soul 
the vacation with some beauty. You don't have to go away for a week to do this. You can find some beauty right here. And number four, I go to God for guidance. This is important because a very common source of stress in our life is indecision. Some of you are at a crossroads. You're at a crossroads. You've got to choose A or B. Or you have multiple choices. That's even worse. Right? Because you're worried you're going to make the wrong decision. It's a binary choice. You know, I have 50% chance of wrecking my life again. So, so you're all stressed out about that. Or you have A, B, C, or D. I have 75% chance of making the wrong decision. So that, that anxiety over making the wrong decision stresses us out. And you've got that decision in your career, and you've got that decision with where do you send your kids for school. You've got that decision with, with what are we doing with our finances. You've got that decision with and so many areas. There's so many decisions. It just stresses us out all the time. I recommend that you make God the number one source of guidance in your life. You let God choose. He's the only one who knows the future. He's the only one who knows what's best for us. Let me be really clear. If you will go to God for guidance rather than your Facebook friends, you'll have a lot less stress. If you'll go to God for guidance instead of some pundit on television, on the news, you'll have a lot less stress. If you'll go to God for guidance, his word for guidance, instead of doing a, a, a poll to all your Instagram friends, yes or no, should I do this, should I buy this, should I go here, should I leave him, should I whatever, whatever, these people are just as stressed out and bad at their life as we are about our life. Why are we going to these experts for any advice? I'm telling you, a recipe for reducing stress is blocking all of them out and say, God, what do you want me to do? What should I do? What should I choose? Let me read your word. Let me spend some time with you. You're already doing that five to ten minutes a day during this series. So ask God, God, I've got a decision to make. What do you think I should do? And you watch. He can answer and he will answer you if you'll look to him. So I read this book. I get quiet. I listen. I sense. And at the right time, maybe not immediately, not the first time I pray it. That's what we want. We want to pray the prayer and spit out an answer, Lord. But at the right time, God will give me an idea in my mind. So I want you to write this down because this is, this is what inspiration is all about. That in fact, this is, this is actually an affirmation statement that God will guide me at the right time and in the right way. God will guide me at the right time and in the right way. Will you fill that in? Not the wrong time. God's timing is always perfect. God is seldom early. Okay, He's never late. But he's seldom early. If God's early, he's like at 11.59 early instead of midnight, okay? He's a minute early. Okay, but he, he, he doesn't typically give you decisions, the answers to your decisions, years in advance. If you're sitting here praying now and you're all, you're all worried about, you know, I mean, you're a, sophomore and you're a sophomore in college, and you're all worried about, who am I going to go to work for when I graduate? If I graduate, you know, who am I going to? God's, God's probably not going to tell you 24 months in advance. But at the right time and in the right way, God will answer that question, that prayer. It's okay to pray. Just don't stress out about making decisions far in advance. God's going to tell you at the right time. In fact, he says, don't worry about tomorrow. Every day has enough trouble. Take it one day at a time. So when people say, to me sometimes, well, what are you going to do in three years? Or what are you going to do in five years? Or what are you going to do about that? I'm saying, look, here's what I'm going to do. Today, I'm going to do whatever God tells me to do. And when we get to that two-year mark, five-year mark, ten-year mark, whatever day you pick, I hope on that day I'm going to wake up and say, God, what do you want me to do today? I have no idea what this is going to be. I'm just going to try to do what God wants me to do every day, every day, every day. And I know he will help me make the right decision at the right time in the right way. It says he guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. This is an affirmation. You can say, God, I believe you are going to guide me at the right time and in the right way. 
So I'm not going to worry about this. I'm not going to stress out about this. I'm not going to freak out about this anymore. Why? Because you're going to meet all my needs. And I'm going to get some rest so I can think clearly. And I'm going to trust you. And I know you're going you're gonna to give me the right guidance. All right, number five. I trust God in the, in the dark valleys of life. I trust God in the dark valleys of life. This is one of the phrases that this psalm is so well known for. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Right? The dark valleys. We are all going to walk through dark valleys in our lives. Not once. We're going to walk through the dark. It doesn't say the dark valley. It's valleys. One of the common sources of stress in our life is loss. You can lose your job, you can lose your income, you can lose your money, you can lose your health, you can lose your reputation, you can lose a loved one. We go through many, many losses in our life. And there's always two common reactions to loss, grief or fear. Grief is good. Fear fear is not good. Fear is bad. Grief is the way that we transition, we make it through the transitions of life. Grief is a good thing. The Bible says that God grieves. Grief is a biblical, is a godly emotion. In fact, if you don't grieve and you don't grieve in a healthy way, you end up getting stuck. You get stuck in the past. And that's what sometimes some of us, that's what we've done, is we, we suffered a loss. And rather than grieve, we just sucked it up, buttercup, right? You got some great advice from a Facebook friend, you know. You, 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 you stuffed it. It's like, you know, carry on, stiff upper lip, don't deal with that. You know, you're a man up, some crazy thing like that. The problem is, is if you don't deal with grief to a real loss and you just stuff it, you get stuck back there emotionally. Some of us, that's where we're at. We've shoved it down, we've shoved it down, we've shoved it down, and now we're stuck emotionally there. And you can't go any further emotionally in life because... Maybe you need to go back and unpack and, and talk about and grieve some of those losses so you can unstuff and, and move forward. So stop pushing that pain down. Get it out. Listen, grief will not kill you. Sometimes it feels like my heart is breaking. That's what we do. We feel like we're going to die. So, but grief never kills you. In fact, it's helpful to go through the transitions of life. On the other hand, fear is a bad thing. Not once in the Bible does it say, grieve not, sorrow not, weep not, cry not. But you know what it says not to do 365 times, one for every day? Fear not. Fear not, because grief doesn't paralyze you. It can get you stuck if you don't deal with it. Fear can paralyze you. He writes in Psalm 23, even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. Shepherds obviously would carry a rod, would carry a staff. Those two tools were used to protect their flock, their sheep, to ward off wolves, protect the sheep. He says, David says, I'm not going to stress out because my God, my shepherd, is here with me, and he's going to protect me. God is helping me, and I've got to trust him. That's the question. Am I going to trust him through the, through the dark valleys? Here's what I want you to write down. I don't have to know all the answers if I know God. We want to know the answer. We want to know the answer to the problems. We want to know the answer to the global warming and the economy and the world peace. And we want to know the answer to the pandemic. We want to know the answer to the market. We want to know the answer to, you know, the person I'm living with. I can't figure them out. You know, we want to know the answer to my kids and what we want to know. We, there are so many things we want to know the answer to. And let me just tell you, you're never going to know all the answers. You don't need to know the answers to all your problems. All you need to know is God. Because God knows all the answers. I don't have to know everything. I just need to know God. Know that he's with me. That he's, he's going to protect me. 
And let me just tell you, if, if you could quit Googling everything to find all the answers, instead just trust God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ditch Google and I'm going to get close to God. I'm going to get off Facebook and get my face in the book. They're going to kick us off Facebook if I keep doing this, y'all. <laughs> it, it, you're going to have to watch on sermon.net soon. Um, I've got to let God be the answer. That leads us to number six. I let God be my defender. This will reduce the stress in my life. Because another common source of stress is conflict. We have conflict in our life with the other human beings in our life. Because let me just tell you, they're all stressed out too. And they're all tired and cranky too. And they've all got their own personal selfish agendas too. So there's people in your life that are in opposition. There's criticism in your life. There's attacks from other people. Let me just be maybe the first one to tell you, there are people who don't even like you. They don't like you. They're people you work with. Some of them don't like you. They criticize you out of jealousy or out of fear. Or maybe there's people in your own family. I mean, it's true. They kind of don't even like you. I mean, they act a little nice around the holidays. Mostly because they like mom. But they don't have a positive word. They're always putting you down. They're always dig, dig, dig. Right? And if you have any success, they play, they downplay it. They minimize it. And you've had a lot of these people in your life your whole life. And they're always attacking, attacking, attacking. Bite, 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 biting. Yap, 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 yapping. And they're always criticizing you. I hope this isn't like brand new news. Now you're depressed. I came in here feeling great today, Jerry. Now I'm all stressed out. <laughs> Look, here's what happens. Our natural response when we're criticized, when we're attacked, when we're belittled, our natural response, criticize back, attack back, retaliate. That's our flesh. That's how we are. You, you, you don't get mad, you get even. Let's be honest, you get mad too. You get mad and you get even. It's not like it's a choice, right? And, and you, you get on the same level as them. You do get even with them. You go down to the same level. But if you would forgive them, whole other sermon, don't worry, I'm not going to beat up on forgiveness this time. But if you would forgive them, it would put you above them. All they're doing in your life is revealing the smallness of their heart. Little people belittle people. Great people make people feel great. So when somebody's always belittling you, they're revealing the smallness of their heart. How do you handle rude people? How do you handle mean people? Well, I get even. I get rude back. I can be meaner. No, 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 no. You are just inviting dump truck loads of stress into your life. You don't do that. You let God handle them. Let God defend you. Let him be your defender. Verse 5 says, You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessing. What is he talking about here? David's using a metaphor. He's saying, you know what? God is so good to me. God says, I'm going to give you, David, a banquet in front of your enemies. I'm going to anoint your head with oil to tell everybody, hey, back off. This is my guy. This is my child. This is the one I've chosen. He anoints my head with oil. So we can say, God, you are so good to me in spite of my attackers, in spite of my critics. God, you just keep blessing me and blessing me in spite of all the people who line up against me. So I'm just going to trust you to take care of all that. I'm going to let you be my defender. Now, it takes a lot of faith to trust God when people are attacking you. It takes even more faith to trust God when people are attacking your kids. Oh, man. All of a sudden, you're God. Yeah, I'm going to straighten everybody out. Give me a lightning bolt. I'm going to straighten out the whole school system. Right? I know. I know. It's in all of us. 
that coach didn't put my you know, I mean, you're ready to, I get it. We could teach our kids a whole lot more if we taught them how to trust God on Little League field. Taught them how to trust God in middle school. Taught them how to trust God with whatever you're dealing with. We would equip our kids to let, teach them how to let God defend them. Man, wouldn't that be great? But I understand, man, this is hard. When people are spreading rumors around about you at work, when people are, are criticizing you, when they're trying to take credit, it is, it is so, when, when online you hear things are, are being passed around or emails are going, everything in you wants to rise up and say, you know, I've got to do something about this. I'm going to set the record straight. I'm going to defend my good name, my honor, my reputation, whatever that means. But when you're under attack, it's, it takes a lot of faith to trust God. And it takes a lot of humility to not retaliate, but to say, you know what, God? I'm just going to bring this to you. I'm just going to vent this to you. I'm just going to complain to you. And I'm going to trust you. Well, let me just tell you, we're talking about stress in your life. You want to reduce the stress in your life? Take that posture with God. God, I'm going to lay down my sword or my keyboard. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to not retaliate. I'm just going to tell you how ticked off this makes me feel. God's not surprised by our anger. And I say, and I'm going to trust you to deal with it, Lord. I'm going to trust you to straighten out my whole family, my whole division, the whole Little League group, whatever it is. I'm not picking on Little League. It could be, so- you know, I mean, you know, there's soccer moms too. Okay. But they email a lot more, so I'll, I'll keep it for them. All right, number seven, last one. I've got to, ex- you want to reduce the stress in your life? Then you've got to ex- expect God. I expect God to finish what he starts in me. You feel that in for number seven? I expect God to finish what he starts in me. Are you a person who is afraid of the future? Are you a what ifer? You know, you're always what ifing. What if this happens? What if things go wrong? What if the economy crashes? What if, you know, what, 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 if, what if it all goes bad? What if, what if, what if? Listen, if you're, in a, if you're a what ifer, you have enormous amounts of stress in your life because there are so many what ifs to stress out about. We call that worry. Unnecessary stress in our life because we worry. Listen to this last verse from David. Surely your goodness and unfailing love, circle goodness and circle love. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. He's saying, you know what? I'm going to heaven anyway. Regardless of what all they say, regardless of what all happens, regardless of what if, what if, whatever, what if, what if all that happens? I'm going to heaven. I told you this at the beginning of the pandemic when we thought everybody was going to die. What if we can't lose as long as we keep our eye on our Savior and we realize no matter what happens here, I'm going to spend eternity in the house of the Lord forever. You know, when, when a shepherd would lead a flock, they would lead out first. And they usually have a couple of dogs. I like to call the, shepherd, the good shepherd's dogs goodness and love. They got a border collie running back there named Goodness, another one named Love. In, in the back of the pack, these two dogs keep everybody in line. All the sheep kind of, oh, you're getting off a little off. You know, we'll get you back in line. Oh, well, they, just, they just bring up the rear, so to speak. This is what's going to happen in your life if you'll just expect it. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me. We tend to look at the future in one of two ways. We, we tend to see it in, well, what if everything goes wrong? What if the zombie apocalypse? What if, what if, what if? You watch too much TV. What if? And you can live your life all stressed out over all the what ifs that possibly could ever happen. Paralyzed. And your life will be shorter because of all that stress. What if I don't have enough money? What if I don't? What if I lose my job? What if? What if I don't have anything to eat? What if? What if? You can go through life that way, or 
you can look at the future and say, you know what, surely goodness and love are going to follow me all the days of my life. And you say, well, Jerry, that's just crazy. No. That's depending on God's promise. He says, goodness and love are going to follow you all the days of your life. And if one of the what-ifs happen, you're still going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Because that's what people say. Well, you can't guarantee me. I won't get by a truck. No, can't guarantee. I mean, he gave you that flight or flight. You should have got out of the road like at the beginning of the sermon. But you don't. You're going to spend the rest of eternity in heaven with your heavenly Father. So I don't know. Even if everything goes wrong, I'm still going to heaven. Surely goodness and love are going to follow me all through life. That is is the plan for the follower of Jesus. You follow him, a lot of love's following you. A lot of goodness is following you. He's got all the what-ifs. Don't worry about that. Just keep going. And you know what? Even if something bad has happened, I'm going to live in the house of the Lord forever. I don't know what burden you're carrying today. I know there are lots of them based on the prayer request that I read. Something is weighing you down. I don't know what your problems are, but I I know the answer. The answer is in Matthew. The last couple the last couple of verses on your outline, Matthew 11. Jesus says, "Here's your answer. You stressed out? You got problems? You got issues and what ifs and people against you and Jesus says, "Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens." Do you feel weary? Are you carrying a heavy burden? Jesus says, "Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens." And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Man, does your soul need some rest? For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. For many years I didn't understand what this whole yoke thing was. The only yokes I knew about were from eggs. A yoke is that archy piece of wood with the curves in it that you put between two cows, two oxen that are going to pull a plow, pull a load, carry a wagon full of whatever. The value of the yoke is it halves the load. In fact, it actually makes it less than half. Two oxen can pull a load more than twice as far as a single ox can do. So it not only, because of teamwork, not only does it half the load, it really makes it less than half. But if you, if you yoke up one cow, they get off kilter, it's slow going, you put two together, and it makes it more than half as easy. Make sense? So when Jesus is taking my yoke upon you, here's what he's saying. He says, look, give me half your load. I'm going to carry your load with you. I'm going to make it better than, than half even. I'm going to share your stress. I'm going to pull it with you. He says, come to me. I'm going to give you some rest and take my yoke upon you. I'm going to help you pull all these problems through life. Team up with me. Let me teach you how to do it is what he's saying to make it easier. Here's what I want you to write down. Last thing. When I'm yoked with Jesus Christ... We move together, here's the key, in the same direction and at the same speed. Those are the two problems that we have. We go off in the wrong direction often, and we go at the wrong speed. But when you team up with Jesus, when you yoke up with him, you're going to go in the right direction. He's going to keep you focused in the right direction and at the right speed so you don't burn out, flame out. That's why he says, hey, take some rest every seven days. So I invite you as we pray to just come to him, like he says, and lay your burdens down. Will you bow your heads with me? Lord, I know there are many people who are tired and worn out by the pace of modern life and this whole pandemic. It's been a year now. We know that many people are stressed out. 
But Lord, if we would just do it your way, life would be so much easier. If we would keep a Sabbath and rest our bodies, refocus our spirit, recharge our emotions. If we would fill our souls with beauty, not ugliness. If we would hear the sounds of beauty and see the scenes of beauty rather than fill our mind with so much negativity. Lord, I pray that each of us will take the steps that David took, that we should take today. Now, why don't you pray? I invite you to pray back to God and just say, Dear God, I want to look to you to meet all my needs. Just say that. Dear God, I want to look to you to meet all my needs. I know there's no person that could possibly be possibly meet all my emotional, spiritual, and physical needs. So the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. And God, starting today, I'm going to obey your instruction about rest. Father, those things that I don't know what to do and I'm confused about and I lack wisdom, please help me to go to you for guidance. Father, I need your wisdom in the days ahead. I've got a decision. I need your wisdom. And Lord, when I go through the dark valleys, help me to not be afraid. And when I'm ready to give up, you know what I should do. Father, when I feel like I'm under attack and I feel like others are against me, would you be my defender? Help me to speak no words of unkindness, but to return good for their evil. To pray for those who persecute. To love those who hate. To do good to those who do evil. Would you be my defender, my protector, my fortress? Would you protect me like a shield? Let me trust you. And God, I'm going to do that. I'm going to expect you to finish what you start in me. Rather than what ifing the future, I'm going to say, surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Jesus, you said come to you, so I'm coming to you. I want to take your yoke on me. I want to learn to team up with you. And I want to move forward in the direction and at the pace that, that you choose. Slow me down, Lord, and I can see your plan for my life. Slow my life down so I can enjoy your plan for my life. Jesus Christ, I invite you to take on every area of my life and in my mind and replace my stress with your peace. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Ooh, I am so excited to see what happens in these life groups that are meeting along with this 50 Days of Transformation series. Thanks again for joining us this Sunday. It's been an honor being your online host. I hope that you'll continue along with us next week, either online or in person at 9 or 1045. Have a wonderful week. Bye.